Invisible Violence, Radical Acceptance and Restorative Climate Justice. I recently read a book that transformed my understanding of the world. The book was See What You Made Me Do by investigative journalist Jess Hill and the thing that made it so powerful was my introduction to the concept of invisible violence. Domestic violence is not a subject that I've had any personal experience and up until now interest in. Physical, mental and sexual violence in my mind were abhorrent behaviours that occurred on the fringes of society, which transformed my perspective with the realisation that DV was not an aberration of our society, but instead a direct product and microcosmic symptom of it. Abuse survivors describe relief at acts of physical violence. This relief is born from their mental and emotional torment being made manifest, and in that way validating what was previously an invisible experience. There were two other insights of Jess's Hill, Jess Hill's book that I found interesting. One, violence is gendered, and male violence has a tendency towards being more extreme because of a built-in cultural sense of and cultural sense of entitlement. Two, the worst abusers are motivated by control. With control comes power. Power without responsibility seems to be the driving force behind the composition of our society. This power is authoritarian and it expresses itself in the relationship workers have with their employers, the poor have with the rich, citizens have with their governments, governments have with powerful multinationals, children have with their parents and clearly some wives have with their husbands or occasionally vice versa. In such lopsided power relations, the one with no power becomes unquestioning and uncritical servant to the wishes and agendas of the one who has the power. Tellingly, we do the same with nature, exerting our needs and demands to exploit without responsibility for a return. Man sees him or herself as part, apart from nature, but more than that, power is the very artifact that separates humanity itself. Our criminal system is built on concepts of retribution. Good people are deserving of their every desire and bad people deserve nothing. The line clearly becomes blurred when said good people commit bad acts in the process of exploiting their every desire, but as long as said goodies remain the one, ones in power, they are the ones who get to both write and enforce society's moral codes. The evidence for oncoming climate change is both crystal clear and scientifically agreed upon and already beginning its impact on the earth. In a strictly punitive lens of justice, this makes companies and politicians who know the scale of impacts of burning fossil fuels and other unsustainable practices either criminals or accessories to criminality. Despite this, the world is seeing a rise in the right wing and a doubling down of said interests to interests that are not only criminal but increasingly financially illogical. The reason for this, I think, is power. Those who currently have it have constructed their own prison cell. To admit wrongdoing at this point is to relinquish power while simultaneously being held subject to a system of punitive justice they themselves help to administer. Back to domestic violence. The cycle of violence is a concept that is astonishingly well articulated by Sydney-based psychologist Robin Grill. Natural Born Bullies is an article I came across in Year 10, which succinctly expressed the problematic dichotomy of separating the world into bad and good, punishing the bad and rewarding the good. People are complex, behaviours are complex, motivations are complex, and most importantly, people are not their behaviours or their motivations. We can accept the person but seek to modify the behaviour. In Grill's Parenting for a Peaceful World, he describes society stages, both historical and across cultures, whose parenting methodologies cultivated differing qualities, both violent and compassionate, in their children. 
Jess Hill paints some horrific examples of the abused who go on to commit terrible acts of abuse themselves. Our societal narrative tells us that the big stick approach is appropriate against these perpetrators, using the sum power of society to force these bad guys into submission. In this way, society is equally as responsible for indoctrinating perps that in order to achieve their own will, the submission of the less powerful is the best way to do it. This punishment, in other words, far from being restorative, helps to perpetuate the very behaviours it is seeking to eradicate. Fear begets fear, and Scheidenfreude of seeing the bad guy get his dues is not a compelling foundation for any justice system. Radical acceptance, I see it, in Australia's Indigenous, every time they offer a welcome to country, seek to teach their ways, cultures or languages, or even in calling Westerners brothers or sisters, the Aboriginal Indigenous of Australia have suffered horrific and ongoing acts at the hands of colonising Westerners, who brought with them drugs, alcohol and domestic violence. Their people have suffered both real and cultural genocide, and until today they have some of the highest suicide and incarceration rates of any culture in the world. As they attempt healing from their intergenerational traumas, their ancestral lands are taken, exploited, destroyed, their rights rendered meaningless. Yet it is these people that come to Westerners with open arms, willing to teach if we are willing to learn. They don't seek to punish a profoundly Western artifact of power relations, but instead to humanise, to get us to see and take responsibility for our actions. My point, I think, is this. We shouldn't be seeking to punish climate criminals. We should be seeking to transform them.